The scripture this morning comes from James 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for how it uh, brings faith when we hear it. We thank you for how it convicts our heart as you sanctify us. Lord, I, I pray this morning uh, as Ryan uh, opens up this challenging text that uh, your gospel message will pour through him. I pray that you'll silence his, his own uh, thoughts and hearts and agendas and all of that. And Lord, just speak through him as you so often do so clearly. We love you, Lord. We love your word. We love this opportunity to grow. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As, as Brandon said, this is, uh, this is the last two verses in James. Uh, it's been uh, an incredibly... Um, fruitful time in James in my own personal life. And I, I, I've heard from many of you the same thing. And, and so I would just I encourage you this. Like I, I feel like I'm, what I'm asking God for is a prayer life that I've always longed to have. And I haven't really, even though I'm a pastor, I haven't really had it, you know. So I'm longing for that. I'm praying for that. I heard last week people were confessing their sins, being made whole. If, if you've got something that you've really, God has really done in your life through this series, we want to hear about it. We want to celebrate with you. That's kind of like the, the fuel for my pastoral heart whenever I hear God working through his word. And, and we get to celebrate as a, as a team with that. So it, just jot that down on a on a. Um, uh, connect card and, and drop that in the offering or send me an email or something like that. I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, James closes his letter today with, with quite a punch. It's not like Paul closes his letters, which are lots of greetings and, and, and uh, personal notes and things like that. He basically he tells us uh, what our job is as a church, which is to save people from death. To snatch people out of the fire, as Jude 23 or 24 says. And uh, as I was thinking about that today, I was thinking about my own life and what rescue has looked like in my life. Have, have you ever been rescued before? Have you ever um, had someone step into your life, maybe in a physical or a spiritual way, that has saved you from what you're about to get yourself into? I think the, the, the times that are most memorable in my life when I've been rescued is I've been rescued from my flesh and and I think that's what it means to be rescued. To be, to be rescued is to be saved from the self-destructing nature of your flesh. And, and this is the big idea of where we're going to head today in James chapter 5. That, that God secures our souls from wandering away from him in sin through community. I know that our theology says that God secures our souls, that he keeps those that belong to him. But I think so often what we forget is that the, the means in which he does that is through his church. He uses us in this room together to help bring one another back to Jesus when we go off the rails. Um, so a, n a number of years ago, like I, almost 13 years ago, it's hard, hard to believe that, Megan and I were um, engaged, and it was a great season of life, um, and uh, we were real excited. And so one day, you know, I said... Um, you know, we were hanging out, it was late at night. I said, you know, I'm just going to crash on your couch tonight um, 
because, you know, it's closer and you know, it's just more convenient. I get to work faster. And, and so there I did. I crashed on the couch. We were not married yet, just engaged. And, and you know, I was a 21-year-old man. And, uh, you know, I didn't get, like, tempted or anything like that. I mean, I, I'm a supernatural 21-year-old, right? And so, um, so the next morning I go into work. I'm interning at a church. And, um, and I, I get... I get into the churches in Las Vegas, and we, we get into the office, and, and, and as soon as I get into my office, um, the guy who was discipling me, his name's Ty, he comes in, shuts the door, and he says, bro, you're playing with fire. I said, I said what, man? You know, back up. And he says, the scriptures say, you know, you're to avoid the appearance of evil. He said, is staying over at your fiance's house when you're on staff at a church avoiding the appearance of evil? And I was like, like, oh, you're going to fire me? I was just freaking out. But that was one of those moments in my life where, one, you see how human I am and how sinful I am, but also how the church rescues our souls. Because who knows where that would have led if that became a pattern in my life. You've got those moments in your life as well, I bet, where people have stepped in to rescue you. And the thing is, is when you're in the moment... It's so painful, it's so humiliating, it's so discouraging when you realize you're not what you thought you were, but it's so refreshing to look back and to see how God works in our lives. So my question to you is this, do you need to be rescued today? Do you need to be rescued today? You know, if you're not going to raise your hand, that, that's okay, no one admits they need rescue, but let's just say that, uh, that you know, hypothetically, that, that like this future hypothetical version of you might hypothetically need to be rescued, how do you think God might hypothetically do that, right? How do you think he would do that? Because so many times I think we, we, we think that it's going to happen in this kind of supernatural way or that we can just get ourselves out of it. But I want you to look around the room right now. Look at the faces around this room. This is God's rescue plan for your life. These people, the Christians in your life, are God's rescue plan for your life. And, and if you don't need to be rescued now, you're going to need to be rescued later. This is, this is how the church works. This is how God brings us to completion. This is the, the pararescue team for your souls that will drop in to remind you of all that is good and noble and true and helpful and holy. So let's read James 5 again with that in mind. My brothers, so my brothers, these are, these are people in the church, okay? These aren't like, you know, like Jesus and, and his other brothers. These are people in the churches in an affectionate term. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, departs from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back, whoever brings the sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and we'll cover over a multitude of sins. Now, I think we look at this sometimes, and, and, we, and, we, and, and maybe you, you see this and you say, okay, yeah, sure, you know, maybe I helped someone out. James identifies that, that our union with Christ through faith, meaning our oneness with Jesus Christ, is so strong, it is as if Jesus is actually rescuing people through our lives. Yet so many times, I don't know about you, but I get so hesitant in community. I get so fearful in community. People really knew who I was. Or if I really said that, man, what would they say about me? 
And we just, we just kind of, we kind of wimp out in those moments or we, we get discouraged. But this is, this is God's rescue plan for your life is his church. So the first thing I want to say is this, is that Christians are prone to wonder from the truth. The, 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 the hymn says that. Come thou found. That's a verse in that song that we're prone to wonder. And it, I don't know about you, but when I sing that song, and we're going to sing it after the sermon, when I sing that song, when, whenever that verse comes up about being prone to wonder, there's just something that resonates within me so deeply. Like I want to like lift my hands, but I'm like, but I'm not supposed to be prone to wonder. Or am I? I don't know, you know. It's just, it's just this moment that I connect with those words because it's such a, a powerful truth that James identifies for us is that we are so prone to wonder. And, and how are we prone to wander? We're prone to wander away from the truth. We're, we're prone to deviate from what is true. So, so you say, Pastor, what is true? Well, what is the truth? Well, Jesus says this in John chapter 14 when his disciples are asking him. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what, what that tells us about truth is that truth is Jesus' life his doctrine, his behavior, and all of that substantiates what we believe to be true. And it is described in the scriptures in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus is on the road with some of his disciples. They, they, you know, they're asking about you know, who this man is that's risen from the dead and they don't know it's him. And, and, and Jesus begins, the scriptures say that Jesus begins to explain all of the scriptures to them uh, through, through the lens of who Jesus is, how he fulfills it all. So, so Jesus said this in, in, in John chapter 8. He said, uh, if you abide in my word, logos, truth, if you, if you abide in me and my word, you are truly my disciples. And here's what he says, you'll know the truth and that truth will set you free. You, you see, what we're looking and longing for as his disciples is to be set free. To be set free from the bondage of sin, from the power of the flesh, from the nature of the old man. We're longing to be set free from that. And the way that we're set free is through abiding in the truth of who God is and what he's done in this world through Jesus. That, that, that's what we're called to do. So, so you say, Pastor, you know, how do we wander from the truth? Well, I think there's, there's kind of two ways that we can wander from the truth. There's, there's doctrinal warning, wandering, I mean, doctrinal wandering, and then there's behavioral wandering. Let's talk a little bit about what doctrinal wandering is. You know, I think it looks different for different people, but, but it's when you begin to deviate or add to or subtract from what is in this book right here. Okay, it's, it's when you begin to add to, subtract from, deviate from what is in this book because this whole thing's about Jesus and Jesus is the truth. So what does that look like? Well, you could be dabbling in this kind of man-centered doctrine that says that the life is really all about you and it's only about God if he can benefit you. And so from that, you know, you, you kind of you drift into this kind of self-helpism where you just, you're just kind of concerned with yourself and nothing else. And, and anything in God's word that kind of pierces you or, or you disagree with, you just kind of throw out the window like Thomas Jefferson did. Right? You know his Bible, right, where he, he cut out all the miraculous things in the Bible because he didn't like what Jesus had to say and what Jesus had to do. And, and we, we might not physically get our scissors out and do that, but, but, but mentally, that, that's how sometimes we, we relate to God's Word. Or, or, maybe, or maybe hell begins to be something that's metaphorical to you because you don't really like the idea that God could judge his people. 
And she began to throw that out. I followed a pastor for a number of years. That that, that became his doctrine. That, that's how he veered off. And he wrote a book about it. And it was a big, it was a big hoopla about it. And, and now, and now he's, he's termed a heretic, right? He, he can't be trusted because he's deviated from the word. Or, or maybe uh, you, you let culture start to define what is biblical for you. You let culture uh, define what, what marriage, what sexuality, what design gender roles are for you. And it begins to deviate from what God's word says. And we're not saying that God only saves certain types of people. We're saying that God saves sinners. And he calls sin what sin is in the scriptures. And so we, we embrace that and we follow that. And let me just say this for a second. Um, a, a, a biblical conviction of God's word and an embrace of it and a surrender to will cost you something. If, if it has not cost you something, it will cost you something. Because long gone are the days where Christians can hide in mainstream culture. Those days are gone. And, and, and there's a lot of me that's thankful for that because I think we're, we're getting clarity on what the church is. The church is able to shine a little brighter now that it's not all muddied up in mainstream culture. But believing in who Jesus is and what he's come to do and what the scriptures say will cost you something. When the doctrine that, that you believe begins to, co- to, to, to cost you respect or maybe intellectual prowess in college or, or cultural savviness as you talk with your coworkers, when you, when you embrace those doctrines, you talk about what Jesus said in an attitude of humility and it begins to cost you something. Those are going to be the times that you're tempted to deviate from God's word when it costs you something. That's why Jesus prays for his disciples that their faith wouldn't fail them. He prays that for us as well. So there's doctrinal, doctrinal wandering. And I don't have time to get into kind of the, the primary, secondary, tertiary doctrinal issues that we would, we would kind of get into. But, but what you need to know is that in general, if we begin to deviate directly with what God's word says, we're wandering away. And we should expect the church to come, the, the people that we're living community with, we should expect them to show up on our doorstep. We should expect them to text us, to call us, to reach out to us if we begin to go down that road. Secondly, there's this behavioral wondering. Now, this usually doesn't start out dramatic. For people that are in the church to begin to drift, it usually starts out so subtle. And, and James has really been talking about this the entire time we've been in the book of James. He, he talks about not only being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. He says that, that faith apart from works is dead. And so, so basically the conclusion we've come to is that we're saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. That, that, our, that our works in our lives are the evidence of faith of what God has done in our lives. So, so maybe you, you wander out of a biblical kind of one flesh marriage. You're, you're just making it work and, and maybe you're even fantasizing about being with someone else. Your behavior begins to follow those seeds of unbelief and you begin to wonder. Or maybe you're wandering out of self-control that the Spirit gifts to us and, 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 and you're spending way more than you, than you make and you're, you're drinking way too much and, and you're getting angry with others because of the unbelief that is birthed in your heart. Maybe, maybe you're just out of control right now. Friends, we should expect the church to show up at our door. 
That's what James is saying. But, but the thing is, is when the church shows up at our door, what do we say to them? You're so judgy. You're so judgy. You're such a hypocrite. You did the same thing last month. Right? I mean, that's how we respond when people enter into our lives and community. And I get it sometimes. It's unwarranted. It is judgmental. But James says there's this kind of fine line here where we ought to expect the church to show up in our lives, especially when we're wandering. So, my friends, I ask you this as we kind of wrap up this first point here. Where are you wandering today? Do you know? Do you know where you're prone to wander? Because I can tell you this, the devil knows. He, he knows where you're prone to wander. Does it catch you by surprise when you slip into sin? When your flesh shows itself in a situation? Is there a pattern there? Where are you prone to wander? I think God would call us to pray about that, to address that uh, from his word and in prayer and even in our community. It's so beautiful whenever I'm sharing life with a group of guys that say, hey, man, I'm prone to wander in this area. Would you pray for me? Would you check in on me? That's beautiful. That's trust. That's vulnerability. That's the person that wants to be rescued. The person that doesn't want to be rescued is the person that hides everything. And then when, when, it, when it comes out, and it always comes out, whatever it is for you, when it comes out, then we just we bail on community because we're so embarrassed, right? That's what we do. So the second thing I want to say is this, is that the church has been entrusted to rescue sinners from their wandering. So, so James, goes, James goes on to, to say that, you know, basically these are people in the church that we should expect to rescue us and, and that our union with Christ is so strong that the benefits of re redemption, which are the love that covers a multitude of sins, uh, and, and the fact that, that Jesus alone saves, that they are so, that we, that we are so knit to Christ that it's as if those things are actually coming from us. That, that we are, dare I say, Jesus to people in those moments. We are the manifestation of Jesus Christ in those moments to them. That we, we are how Jesus has chosen to show up in believers' lives in those moments. So as I think about this, I like to think about, you know, like a, like a sailboat. So, so uh, Megan and I had the opportunity uh, to go sailing for the first time uh, on the ocean a month or so ago. And it was, it was interesting because, you know, like I'm a, we're pretty adventurous people. But there was something about, like, watching that movie Castaway that kind of just gave me the heebie-jeebies about sailing on the ocean. I, I, I just got these nightmares of, like, you know, like a volleyball named Wilson being my best friend, you know, if this went wrong. And so, uh, and so, like, I said, okay, let's get someone to show us how to, to use this little sailboat. It's a little Hobie cat, and it's like four, four people can fit on it. And, and really what shocked me about sailing was, I, and there are some sailors in here, but they know a lot more than I do. But what shocked me was really how simple it is. Sailing is all about just catching the wind. It's, it's like playing a game of catch. I mean, you're, you're just trying to catch the wind in certain ways with certain intensities. And then, the, you know, the, the rudder in the back kind of steers you from there after you catch the wind. But if there's no wind, there's no movement. And so what we're doing as Christians is we're setting up our lives by, by God's power to catch the wind of his spirit, to move in the direction of his will. That, that's what we're doing as Christians. So as we live in community together, and we open ourselves up to one another by God's grace and His Spirit, and we put down our guards, what we're beginning to do is set the sails of our life to catch the wind of God's Spirit, to move to, to a greater unity with Him and a community with one another. That, that's what we're doing. 
And so don't be surprised when God leads you into those moments relationally as you invest in others' lives to help keep one another in the faith. Don't be surprised when he does that as we're catching the wind of his spirit. So, you know, there's really only two places that each person in this room is right now. You are either wandering in need of rescue, maybe people know about it, maybe they don't, or you are called to rescue. Those are the two places we all are this morning. We're in one of those two places, maybe both, I don't know. So what do you do if you're in need of rescue? You know, it's interesting, my father-in-law was hunting with his brothers, uh, this is probably 10 years ago in Colorado, and um, they were, they were, they they backpacked and took four-wheelers all the way up in the mountains, and they set up this camp. They were there for a week, and they were in Colorado, and it began to snow really, 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 really hard. Now, now they're thinking, you know, we're good old boys from Kentucky. We can figure this out. And, uh, and then, like, uh, this rescue team shows up, and they're like, guys, we got to get you off the mountain right now, or we're not going to be able to find you. You know, like, like it is about to snow so much that you're not going to be able to be found. You're going to run out of water. Everything's going to freeze. We're not going to be able to find you. And so they're like, no, 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 we got this. We got this. Well, anyway, basically they said, we got to get you off here right now. And so they took them off. And, and the thing about the, when you're in the place of rescue and someone approaches you and they, they try to rescue you, maybe spiritually or whatever, just like that, that situation, is that you're unaware of the fact that you need to be rescued. Right? You're, 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 you're kind of blinded to your situation because you've been drifting and, and, and you're kind of in this place where you trust yourself a little bit too much, right? And you think, I can get myself out of this, but you don't know that it's about to dump 10 feet of snow on top of you, right? You don't know where you're at. You don't know the danger that you're at. So it takes this vulnerability in community to, to trust the people around you more than you trust yourself, especially when you're walking in the flesh. That, that's what I would say to the people in this room right now that are in need of rescue. That's what I would say to the people in this room, all of us, that will need to be rescued from the self-destructing nature of our flesh. Because here's the deal. It's, it's just like a ship that has a, a course that it's on. A degree of deviation can lead to a disaster on down the road. It always starts out small, and then it gets so big on down the road. And we're going to have to be humble enough to know that it's God's design for for the Apostle Peter, for the Apostle Paul, for, for Martin Luther and everybody in between to be rescued by God's people. That, that's his design. So that's what I would say to you. Now, if you're in a place where you're saying, you know, like I'm in a pretty good place with the Lord right now, or maybe you'll be in a season soon that you are, and, and God is calling you to rescue others. Like that is your mission. Like, like it, he's called us to rescue sinners from death outside the church, but he's also called us to rescue one another from sin inside the church as well. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful because you, you've probably had these moments where, where, you, where you think about someone, maybe you're thinking about someone right now in your life that, that maybe God uh, has placed on your heart, you've been praying for them, uh, you're concerned about the decisions that they're making, and uh, you really love them, you really care about them, they seem to be a believer, you just, you just can't figure out the decisions that they're making right now, and you're asking yourself this question, is God calling me to pursue them? Am I right? Are you, you're kind of thinking like that right now. Is God calling me to pursue them? And let me just say this. I don't know, okay? But, but here's what I do know, is that there have been beautiful times in my life when, when I had a, a friend of mine, I've shared this story before, that uh, was, um, 
was getting ready to make some, some uh, uh, immoral decisions uh, that would uh, tremendously impact the rest of his life. And, and I sat down with him at Starbucks in Johns Creek, and I said, Brother, I'm, 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 um, I'm afraid for you because you are so, un, you are so comfortable, um, you know, disobeying God's word. That, 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 and I, I said that to him, and it was like an awkward transition. It was like, uh, see ya. You know, it was, it's kind of weird, right? It was, but, but in that moment, in that moment, I knew that God would want me to share his word with my brother. And a week later, my brother comes back to me. He repents, and this guy is an elder at a church now. I mean, his life is completely turned around. And uh, he would look back to that moment and say, that that was a, a transformational moment in his life, and it was incredibly painful for me. Now, there are other times whenever I, uh, recently Megan and I had a, a situation where we were, we were doing some, some counseling together uh, with someone, and, um, and, and their response to our, our what, we, what we perceived to be spirit-filled, you know, uh, counsel and prayerful counsel was, the church hurt me so bad. So I don't know how people are going to respond when you step into their lives. But, and we're supposed to be careful, we're supposed to be humble, we're supposed to be respectful, we're supposed to be spirit-filled. But I don't think we're called to worry about the results as much. And, and that's hard because I'm a people pleaser. And many of you in this room are people pleasers too. But when it comes to snatching people out of the fire, like we're going to have to let our feelings go a little bit and trust the Lord on it. And so that, that, that's what a biblical community looks like. I mean, remember, what, remember the heart of Jesus for the lost. Do you, do you remember what he said? And, and I think this, this relates perfectly. If you have a Bible, turn over to Luke 15. And Luke 15, I love Luke 15 because it's about the parable of all the lost things, right? Uh, so let's look at the lost sheep. Let's look at what Jesus said, how he, how he thinks about sheep that are lost, that, that belong to him, that, that have kind of gotten out of the pen, and, and he needs to bring them back. Here's what he says. Luke 15 Verses 3 through 7. So Jesus told them this parable. He said this, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. James 5.20 says this, Let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's the heart of Jesus for lost people. Sometimes the lost people belong to him and they just lose their way, don't they? So, this is what Jesus longs to do through our lives, to bring sinners back to repentance. And as Brandon prayed for us earlier, like, like the default position of the church is not like, hey, like how righteous am I on my own? Like, let's see how I measure up against the other Christians. It's this, it's how deeply do you depend on Jesus? And, and how do we notice that we depend on Jesus? Well, it's through our life of confession. Like, like what sins are we aware of that we're confessing to the Lord? And how do we depend when we see what our sin is? I mean, to bring sinners back to repentance. He says there's just so much joy in heaven. You have no idea 
How much heaven celebrates when sinners come back to the Lord. He says, you have no idea. And I, I'm thinking like logically about the situation. Okay, the, the shepherd leaves 99 sheep in the field. I mean, that's kind of irresponsible, right? I mean, that is a lot of sheep. But the shepherd loves the lost one so much that he doesn't care what it will cost him. He'll figure that out when he gets back. Church, that is the heart of Jesus for your soul. Did you know that? That, that when you wander, when you deviate from his plan, that he loves you so much that he's going to send a human being in the flesh that is filled with his spirit to your doorstep to love on you. And it might not be pleasant in that moment. This is the father heart of God for his church. He loves to bring sinners back home. And he loves to do it through his church. So where are you today? Are you in need of rescue? Or are you called to rescue? Because whenever we wander outside of God's design and we begin to live in this self-destructed nature of the flesh, we're outside of the covering of the gospel. And, and in those times, in those moments, we're, we're saying that we don't need covering for our sins through the cross. We're saying that we can handle our sins on our own when we wander. And our brothers and sisters are desperately trying to remind us, no, you can't. You're deceived. Are you ignoring the believers in your life that are trying to lead you to the truth today? Maybe, maybe you're even thinking about someone who reached out to you at some point in your life that offended you so much, but they were just listening to Jesus' bold little brothers claim that we're called to rescue one another. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you need to go be reconciled to them for how you acted toward them. I don't know, I'm just, I'm just speculating here. Or maybe there's someone in your life right now that is, that is calling out to you, that's trying to invest in you, to remind you of the truth, and you are stiff-arming them like a fullback all day long. Or maybe you have such high guards up in community that no one can know you. That's another way we do it, right? When we, when we choose to just be anonymous in community. How can we expect the church to be the church when our walls are up so high? Or maybe you need courage to, by God's grace, do what Jude said, to snatch people out of the fire. Fire snatchers. That sounds like a good band name, doesn't it? You know, I mean, what, maybe God is calling you to do that today. And you need courage. You need to get beyond yourself and to walk by faith for the sake of that brother or sister's soul and security in the Lord. Where are you at with this? All I know is that we don't finish this race without each other. We don't finish it. We don't finish this race without the church. Church is so crucial to who you are and who you are becoming. So that's what James is saying. Now, when I read this text, though, if you're anything like me, I've got a lot of questions. And one of the biggest questions I have is this. What if they don't come back? Right? You read this and you say, what if they don't come back? And you have all of these questions. And you think, man, are they, were they ever a Christian? I, you know, and we start asking these things. And I would just say this as we get in. And I've got five things I want to share just about really what it means to persevere as the church. To know, to have, to have a, a solid footing on our assurance of pardon and our security in Jesus Christ. I've got five things I want to share about that. But the first thing I want to say before that is this. If God is calling you to reach out and rescue someone, to snatch them from the flames, do not assume that they are not Christians. 
I can't tell you how many times I hear this. Oh, yeah, did you see what they're doing? I don't even think they were a believer. I mean, how, how would you like somebody to say that to you? You know what I mean? Somebody walking, yeah, I, yeah, I know you used to sing on the worship team and you preached sermons and stuff and led small groups. I don't even think you're a believer, man. Do not assume that people are not believers. Do you know what it's like to be lost? Do you know what it's like to wander? You get so deceived, right? And Jesus loves to bring us home. So many times we cut people off at the pass because we don't believe the best about them. We've got hard things to say to them, but it's like we cut love off. Don't assume they're not believers. Maybe they're just wandering for a long time. But the five things I want to share with you is for the people that we need to remember for the people that wander for a long time. They wander away and it's dark. And, you know, maybe, maybe for you it's, it's a child that's now wandering. He, maybe he's uh, or she's denied the faith. And maybe they say I'm agnostic or, you know, I'm a universalist or I'm atheist or whatever it is. I, I, had, I had one father in New City that, um, that was just concerned about his son. And he, he wanted to talk to me about it. And, and uh, one of the things we talked about was... Um, was, okay, what would it look like to lean into the wandering a little bit? To not be afraid of the wandering nature. Because when you know, when you know that Jesus can rescue the worst of sinners, your kid's wandering is nothing for him to bring back. He can do that. Snap of fingers, he can do that. What would it look like to lean in instead of lean away? Because when our, when our kids start to wander, I, I can already see this even though my kids are younger, when our kids start to wander, it freaks us out. We're, and we start, we start guessing like, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? What's it look like to lean in more? And so I just encouraged this dad. I said, you know, maybe you ask him, you know, he's agnostic. Maybe you ask him what books he's been reading about uh, agnosticism. Maybe you start reading with him. Maybe you just say, hey, you know, teach me what you believe. You're so firm in what you believe. Just teach me what you, I just want to learn. Isn't that a different approach? It's a different approach because it's a faith-filled approach. Because what we're assuming is that Jesus wins in that approach, right? When we're in fear and we walk with those that wonder, we're assuming that Jesus doesn't win. But, but we, guys, we, I, I think we forget we've got the best news in the world. That Jesus always wins. That he rose from the dead. He's won. He's finished it. And so when we, when, we, when we approach wanderers with faith that he rescues, we can lean in a little bit more than we would without trying to control things so much. And our prayer life is strengthened. One of my, one of my kids, uh, they've been doing a unit on Greek and Roman gods. And one of my kids, I was... Was, was asking him, he had, to, he had to write down on this, some kind of application or something, are you a Christian? And he, he said, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've been reading a lot about, you know, Greek and Roman gods, and I just don't know if they're real or not. And I thought, you know, wow, like, he's, an, he's intellectually, like, processing this, right? And, uh, and, and at first, I wanted to, to, uh, to burn all of the books in the house, okay? That's what I want to do at first. But then I started thinking, you know, how could I help him intellectually engage because, you know, a lot of times we think that Christians are, are uh, kind of intellectually subpar, right? That They have kind of like this weak knowledge. They're not, they're not really that smart. And I thought, you know, if Jesus wins, let's lean in. You know, he's, he's the only one that, that has done all of the work for his followers. That, that they get all of the benefits of all of his work through faith, through nothing that they do. He's the only one. And so, you know, we, we've, been, we've been reading this, this little book, Kids' Case for Christ, together. We've been just digging through it together. 
What's it look like to not be afraid of the wandering, but to be intentional with those that wander around you? Because we don't have to be afraid of it. All right, so that was uh, the, the pre-sermon to these five points. But um, I just want to share five things about eternal security that I think will help us as we think about those that wander in our rescue mission that God's called us to. The first one is this, is that we are justified by faith in Jesus alone. We're justified by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Let me say it again. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So think about it like this. This is everybody's entrance to the life of faith. This is everyone's entrance. This is, this is, the, this is the, the wedding ring of, of, uh, of, sal- of the salvation process that we are justified by faith, uh, by faith through grace alone. That, that our sins have been atoned for and while our works are so significant, like what we do in his kingdom, they're so significant. James describes this the whole time. That we're saved by faith alone. Paul writes it over and over and over again through the letters that he shares with us. And, and it's like this. This is my first Bible teacher ever taught me. He said, it's, it's just, justification means this. It's just as if you never sinned and just as if you always obeyed. Just as if you never sinned, just as if you always obeyed. That's what it means to be justified. To be made right from the beginning with God. Second thing is this. Justification, so kind of that entry point into salvation, always leads to glorification. So the start of salvation always leads to the finish of salvation. Let me, let me read to you uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. There, there's no condition here. If he justified them, he's going to glorify them. That's what he's going to do. He's going to finish what he starts. And, and Romans 8 is this, if you want to dig more into this, read Romans 8 this afternoon. It would be great Sabbath reading for you. It, it describes this process on a cosmic level of what God does in saving a sinner. It, it's way more than you think. It's way more than just walking the aisle. There's so much going on at a cosmic level when God saves a sinner. That it, it, it talks about election that God in eternity past chooses to love. And he saves those that he loves. And then you get to this point of conversion, which is the place that we're actually aware that something has happened, that God has done something. And in conversion, what happens is that God has replaced, as the book of Ezekiel says, that heart of stone that just wants to follow our way, that hates God, that doesn't want to listen to his word. He replaces that with a heart of flesh that is open to the person and the work of Jesus. That's what happens when someone is being converted, that they're open to Jesus. They're done with themselves. And, and in that moment of conversion, there's a lot of things that happen, okay? We're justified, just like we talked about. Uh, we're adopted into the family of God. I mean, the, the, the ring, the robe, the, the feast, the whole nine. We're a part, we're fully a part of the family, right? Uh, and, and, and then we go on this journey of sanctification, right? This journey that, that if you're a believer in this room, you are in right now. And it's, it's this journey that you think should should be like this upward trajectory, but it often goes backwards and upside down and all around in circles, right? Amen? Yeah, you know what that's like. So, but then after the sanctification process, which will be the entirety of your life on this earth, Jesus will return 
at the end of time, and he will glorify your body. He'll glorify your soul. You will be perfectly one with him forever. That's what God promises to do. Those he justifies, he glorifies. That's what he'll do. So now that you know the start and you know the finish, let's talk about the other stuff. Third thing is this, and this is the key. Only those who continue in the faith will be glorified. Okay, let me say it again. Only those who continue in the faith will be glorified. Listen to two passages right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So hear the conditional if there. If you finish the race, he says. Colossians 1 says it similarly, verse 21 following. And, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The conditional clause, the word if, cannot be overlooked for us. It can't. The, the, the promise is rock solid if we remain in Jesus. So that means this, no matter how hard the struggle of faith is in sanctification, and for some of us it seems a lot harder than others, doesn't it? No, no matter how hard the struggle is, you'll be glorified if you remain in him. That's the promise. It doesn't matter how bad things seem to get in your life, how much you go off the rails, if you remain in him by faith, you will be glorified. It's beautiful news. It's beautiful gospel news for us. It's, it's, I like to think of it like a, like a marriage, right? So, so some people, um, let me just say this first. Some, some people think about their faith, and it's always in past terms. Like, hey, remember when I was six, what I did? You know, and that's how they talk about their faith, right? You know, remember how great that summer camp was? And, yeah, it was awesome, but, but, but it's not this present kind of thing. Could you imagine if I um, talked about my marriage like that? You know, in our hallway, we've got our wedding pictures. We're little babies, you know, and, uh, and uh, just look so young and, you know. So innocent, but not. And, um, and, 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 and you look at those pictures, could you imagine if I always describe my marriage by what we, were, what we were doing that day 12 and a half years ago? It'd make no sense at all, would it? No, no, when I talk about my marriage and I talk about my family, I'm going to talk about what God is doing in and through our lives right now. That, that's a marriage that's vibrant and alive and spirit-filled is when you're talking about what's happening right now. The same way with our relationship with Jesus. If, it's, if we're not engaged in what's happening right now, we, we might need to consider if we've really received him. That's what he's saying, if you continue in the, in the faith. And so when we think about those that wander, I think it's imp important to consider those types of things. It's important to consider that conversation. You know, if you continue in the race. Now, it's a mystery, right? I don't have this magic bullet answer for you today about wandering souls. But the Bible does tell us that, that, that glorification is promised to those that finish the race, that stay with Jesus to the end, no matter how bad their life looks. Fourth thing is this. God keeps his children in faith. And I've kind of already said this, but I just want to mention Philippians 1.6 to you. Um, and I'm sure of this. 
He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus begins something, he finishes it. So, so the scripture says that, you know, it's like a good shepherd that, that doesn't lose anything that belongs to him. John 6 tells us about that. So, so when a Christian wanders, even like the prodigal to the distant land, I mean, he was gone for a while. He went a long way away. He did some bad things, really bad things. But the Father's love brought him back, right? I know it can be terrifying when we think about souls that are wandering because they're, it seems like they're a lot further than that prodigal, right? That's what keeps us on our knees, right? That's what keeps us engaged by faith to help rescue those souls. So is James saying that you can lose genuine, regenerate salvation? Is he saying that with James chapter 5? No, I don't, I don't think that he is when we read it in the context of what the whole of Scripture says to us. But the Bible is saying that it is possible to be deceived into thinking that you have what you did not have. And that's the warning and the invitation for us, isn't it? So, so how can we be sure that we stay in the faith and help guide others to that same faith? How can we be sure? This is the whole thing I wanted to say right here. That God secures our souls from wandering away from him and sin through community. The way that you can be sure that God is at work, that God is saving you, is by staying in community and trusting that community that God puts in your life. Because the scriptures say that they're going to rescue your soul from death. That, that's the power of a community. It's not just this nice kind of thing where, yeah, I'll show up on Wednesday, whatever, it's great. That, that, that's not what James is saying. James is saying that the church is vital to your salvation. Vital. And that's what we're leading those that wonder to, to his church, as broken and messy as it is. It's God's plan. Listen to what Hebrews 3 says, and I'll, I'll close with this. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, there's that word again, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That we should prioritize gathering together as a church. That we should prioritize figuring out what it looks like to live vulnerably and open with God's church. That we should prioritize all of those things because what we are availing ourselves to is the sovereign plan of God to keep our souls. That's what's happening. That's what James is talking about here. We need one another because this is God's plan for carrying me and carrying you to the end of the race. It's his plan. So here's my prayer today. So it's two things. First one is this, that the wanderers would heed the call and come home to the truth. That, that you would come home if you're wandering today. And that those of you that have loved ones and friends that are wandering, that they would heed the call to come back home to that loving father. Secondly, that the rescuers would have the humility and courage to love one another deep enough to save one another. And that we would be the type of community where souls could be rescued. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, it is so powerful. It is so living and active among us, God. And I confess that I had no idea how important your church was when I was a new Christian, I had no idea what you had in store for me and how you choose to keep me. And I, and I bet many of us in this room are in that same boat. Lord, I pray, 
Lord, for the wandering souls, for the, the kids and the, the fathers and the brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and high school friends and co-workers that have wandered away from the faith or are wandering away from the faith, God, that you would draw their hearts back to you through the power of the gospel. Lord, it is foolishness to the world, but it is life-changing to us. And Lord, I pray for courage for those in this room that you are calling to do something humble and loving and bold, maybe even this afternoon. They have courage to trust you more than they trust themselves. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your words. In Jesus' name, amen.